0: the 17th, and our passage for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As I told you in our last podcast, there is no division between chapter 8 and chapter 9 in the original text. It is the continuation of a thought that was started in chapter 8 and continues through what we call chapter 9. Now, let's continue. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints. Now, the word is diakonos. This is one of four words for servant ...in the New Testament. And this is the word that we usually associate with a deacon. And it's translated here, ministering. Why? Because this is the word for service, ministering, and this is what deacons do. As we look at deacons, like anything else, there are those who are formally, officially set aside to be deacons. And those men, following the footsteps of those of the book of Acts, chapter 6... Paul gave Timothy and Titus the qualifications for these positions because it has to do with qualifications. Anybody can serve in the kingdom of God. Anyone can serve in the church of Jesus. But you cannot serve in an official capacity without meeting qualifications. The same thing is true of an elder. There is a functional sense of an elder, which anyone who fits into that description would be an elder in the sense of an older, wiser, seasoned man who is steeped in the word of God who can lead people. But that doesn't mean that that Elder, that older person, that older man would be in an official position. That's what we are constantly coming to in the New Testament. There is an official capacity which has qualifications for it, and not everyone can fulfill that. And then there is the functional aspect. That's true of a deacon, that's true of a pastor. What is called an elder in the Bible is called a pastor, usually in the Western world. It's very distinct. In all of these words and concepts that are mentioned in the New Testament, there is usually a positional aspect, that's an official capacity, and then there is a functional aspect. For instance, the same is true in the Apostle Paul's life. Paul is an apostello. He was one sent with a commission. But others are called apostles who are not part of the 12 or a special apostle. They are sent with a commission. They are sent on a mission by someone in authority, someone who has the ability and the capability and the authority to send someone. And so in that sense, all of us who are followers of Jesus, we are sent apostolically. That is, we are sent. That's what the word means, one sent with a commission. It originally referred to a ship that is commissioned and sent out to a particular destination. But then there is the official sense, those who knew Jesus from his baptism, who had watched him throughout his life and uh, his ministry, and uh, had uh, witnessed with their own personal eyes the a resurrection of Jesus, physically so. That's why there are no official apostles today in the truest New Testament sense, because the qualifications for that are listed in Acts chapter 1, and those qualifications include being eyewitnesses, physical eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul then was an apostle born out of due time, but Paul also had a physical manifestation of Jesus on the road to Damascus after he was alive, after he was resurrected. No one alive today has seen Jesus in the flesh after the resurrection in the sense of the apostles, except the apostle Paul, who had a particular assignment from God, and he delineates that, details that in the scriptures. And so I want you to see that there is a functional sense and a positional or official sense of many of the words used in the New Testament. So don't let that throw you. Because the word deaconess is used. Now, that doesn't mean that it's an official sense. It just means it's a female servant. You say, could it be used in the official sense? Well, of course it could. And good men differ over that. But I do not believe, for instance, that Phoebe had an official capacity as an ordained deacon in the church, someone who was set apart for a specific purpose. I believe Paul used that title, that she was a female servant that needed to be called out as such and identified as such. I have no problem with that whatsoever. What I do have a problem is when we try to put people into positions that are disqualified, that are not qualified, or they are not the right gender. And I know people don't agree with me on that, and I'm not ugly about it. If you want to ordain a woman, that's between you and God. But that doesn't mean that it's a scriptural teaching. And so if we differ about that, that's fine. I'm not going to break fellowship with you over it. All I'm saying is we need to come to grips with there is an official positional aspect of the office of a deacon, of an elder, of a bishop, of a shepherd. Those last three are all used interchangeably, so it's one office with three different functions. But then there is the office, the official capacity, the position of a deacon, but then there is the serving. There is the official capacity of an apostle, and then there is the functional aspect of the apostles. And so on and on and on we could go. Paul is referred to as a deacon. Barnabas is referred to as an apostle, but he is not one of the twelve, nor was he set aside. Like Paul, I just want you to think about that and look at it because sometimes it ties us up in knots and we break fellowship over that. Paul is talking about those who were ministers and were ministering to the saint. And he said it's superfluous. That means it is just Absolutely needless for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago. Now, the Macedonians are where Philippi is, where Thessaloniki is, where Berea, Berea is then and now. And that was part of Philip the Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great's kingdom. And then Greece was Athens and Corinth and all of that area, which would have been south of that Macedonian area. And so it was called Achaia. And he's talking to the Corinthians. So he said, I've been telling the people in this particular province, the Macedonian province, that you who were in Achaia were ready a year ago And he said, it stirred up your zeal, stirred up your willingness, your uh, prothumia—that that is your willingness, your before desire, your passion, you had it before anyone and you stirred up everyone else. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting, Paul said, I've been boasting about you, that you're ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. And so this is why he's writing. He's saying, I don't want you to be embarrassed, and I don't want to be embarrassed. We, not to mention you, would be ashamed. We'd be embarrassed if this confident boasting that I've been boasting about, if they come and you're not ready, then they're going to say, well, what was that all about? Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort you, to call you up, to encourage you, that you go and ahead of time, prepare your generous gift beforehand. Now, Paul is really using... An encouraging word here and a tremendous method of getting the people moving. He's saying, look, I'm expecting you. I'm expecting you not only to get it ready, but it's going to be generous. It's going to be incredible because you, as I spoke to all of you on this podcast in chapter eight, the Corinthians were wealthy, the Macedonians, the Philippians, the people of Berea, Thessaloniki were not. And so here were people that were being encouraged by those who had more than they did. And now they're giving an offering that you're really going to have to do something, give something for it to match. And he said, I want you to just have this generous gift prepared beforehand, which you previously promised. Paul reminded them of their vows that it may be ready as a matter of generosity. Here, he used that word again, not as a grudging obligation. Paul wants the people to be blessed. He doesn't want them to give out of a sense of have to, but get to. It amazes me when I hear believers with this stinking attitude of, well, we got to go to church. You don't got to go to church. You get to go to church. You don't have to do something. You're blessed to do something. This I say, he that sows sparingly, stingy, will also reap sparingly. Why? Because you didn't sow much. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you sow a little, you're going to get a little. If you sow a lot, you're going to get a lot. That's all he's saying. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. Now the word here is hariomai. And it means to choose, but it's always in the middle voice. That is a personal choice. They themselves. In other words, no one forced you to do this. No one told you an amount. It's something you chose, you yourself. It is that personal responsibility that you took, so you promised it, so give it. Give it not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves hilaron. Hilaron, hilarious. God loves hilaron. A hilarious giver. Now, hilarious doesn't mean ha, ha, ha. Hilarious means what we would call in the South, knees slapping funny. I mean, it is hilarious. It is wonderful. It is so great. It brings joy to the heart, happiness to the heart. That's what God loves for you to give this way. And God is able to make grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it's written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, God is the source of everything. This is what Paul reminds them in verse 10. Now, may he who supplies the need of the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see, God is the one that turns the faucet on, and he turns it off. And so God is able to do that, and he is going to enrich you in every way for your liberality. You see, being a liberal is not always bad if we're talking about giving, if we're talking about serving, if we're talking about doing something for others, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You see, when we give as God wants us to give and we bless others, it engenders generosity and thanksgiving and praise to God. That's why when we give, we need to do it in the name of Jesus. Why? So Jesus will be praised. So people will speak highly of Jesus. That's what it means to glorify someone. It means to speak highly of them, to grant value to them. And so he said, when you give and you are generous and you're free and you're loving with the gift and you do it in Jesus' name, then it's going to abound to thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession of the gospel of Jesus, the good news. You see, the good news is God is a great God, and he is a giver. God so loved that he gave. Now, listen to me. You can give without loving. You can give with bitterness in your heart. You can give begrudgingly. You can give out of have to and necessity. You can give without loving, but listen to me, friend. You cannot love without giving. Love engenders generosity. And you show me somebody that's stingy and is trying to get by on giving as little as they can to God, then I will show you someone that has a heart that's not whole. I'll give you someone that is stingy, someone who feels like they're doing God a favor to give. And let me tell you, without God, we wouldn't have anything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Read it in the Bible. It's true. And when you and I give to others, we're showing the heart of God, the loving heart of God. It is so wonderful to give. It is a liberal thing to do, a great thing to do. And you're sharing, you're partnershiping, you're fellowshipping, you're distributing to the needs of others. And when you do that, God begins to bring about thanksgiving in their heart, and they begin to feel toward you. They begin to love you because they know that you care for them. And it says, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. In other words, when we give and we give a gift that is worthy, people begin to think, That's not natural, and it's not to give. It's inbred in us to be selfish. This is why we see it in children. Do you have to teach children to give? Of course you do. You know why? Because you walk into a room, there's a whole room of toys, and you've seen this with your own children, grandchildren. Don't tell me you haven't. Because you have. You know it. It's frustrating because we see ourselves in this, but you can see a child that's not playing with a toy. Poor old toy has been over there in the corner, rejected, it's a discard, the child never wants to play with it. Yes, your child, your grandchild, your great grandchild, and another child will come in the room and want to get that toy, and all of a sudden, that is the most cherished toy of all, and your child, your grandchild, your great grandchild will fight that child to take that toy when he's got all the rest of the toys and hadn't played with that one for months, maybe. There are exceptions to this from time to time, but not as a way of life, because the heart is wicked. It is inbred in us. It's in our DNA to be selfish. And only the grace of God can engender generosity, not so we can be praised, not so we can be seen, but so God can be praised and God can be seen in our lives. And so... Paul ends up the chapter with, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It is inexpressible. It would be what we would call priceless. It would be something we couldn't put a price tag on. And many times people say, you never know what this means to me. What they're saying is, I don't know myself. I just know that I'm overwhelmed, and I am so grateful to God for what he's doing in your life and in mine. Be a giver. And do it with joy in your heart. Allow the joy of the generosity of God that He's given you, the gift of salvation that cost the Lord Jesus His life. He freely gives it. He freely gives it. He freely gives it to you, and He gives it to me so that we can pass it on to others as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp.